Amen. Good morning. How is everyone doing? Oh, come on. Good morning. Good morning. Those songs are to move you to action is what those songs do. The wonderful songs of worship to give the truth to who God is, and you would already be moved into action to follow him, and hopefully you are. You are in your heart and mind. Um, if you could take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6, I'd appreciate that this morning. And also take out your message outline. This is a, the, when I, anytime I preach these kind of messages, there's always kind of a resistance that some people don't like because this is a message that Jesus spoke, so we have to speak it, right? It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. If you went to an investor, investment counselor to talk about retirement, they would ask you some questions like, uh, what year do you plan on retiring, right? They would ask you, uh, what's your family history, perhaps to get a kind of potential lifespan that you had, and say you're, you say, I, I want to retire at the age of 65 to 70, and you're thinking to yourself, and this is just an example, that you say, I'm going to live another 30 years, okay, after that. And you, you might say, well, that's a long time, but suppose you say, I'm going to live another 30 years. So they're going to tell you how to prepare for that, how much money you need to put aside, when and where, right? And you might say, I want this same standard of living. I want a re little bit of reduced uh, standard of living. And they're going to tell you how much to put aside and, and when and where, how much you need to do it and stuff like this. So suppose you're going to... You're, you want to retire at the age of 65, and you're 60. And you go to an investment counselor and say, what do we need to do? They're probably going to tell you it's a little late, but do what you can, right? Do what you can. They would suggest that you start saving uh, as early as you can for retirement. All young people, as soon as you get a job, start saving for retirement. So when you get around my age or a little older, and you start wanting to retire, you're going to have plenty there so you can retire comfortably. So make sure you do that. Don't try to take all your money and just spend it. Save for retirement, because we're all going to get to that time, right? So you save as early as you can. So you begin to think of those 30 years. You say, I'm going to live, that I'm not going to be able to work. Uh, many people don't retire for 30 years, but just say 30 years. Where you're looking at retirement, you're going to have no income, other than what you've put aside or the Social Security, if it's still there, right? They're going to have. What would you think about Jesus as a financial counselor, that's an investment counselor. What do you think about Jesus? That's what he's going to do here in the passage we're looking at this morning in Matthew chapter 6. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is preaching in the 6th chapter, and he's addressing, he's already addressed the motivation for the people. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, I kind of try to share this in every one of the messages in this series, because I think the really believing in the Sermon on the Mount, it hinges on Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. What Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you certainly will not enter the kingdom of God. So he's raising the standard. He's raising the standard of it. Here's the standard, and people are saying, I can't do it. And that's exactly what the Sermon on the Mount is about. You can't get there on your own. You need help. And you know the one that can help you is who? Jesus. Very good answer. Very good answer. I kind of set you up for that one, but he's the only answer that they couldn't do it. And that's what God wants us to know. You can't do it on your own. And that's what he's saying. Then in chapter 6, Jesus said, you have to have the right motivation. We have to have the right motivation. And your righteousness in terms of your worship, he says, has to be towards God. But it can't be a theatrical performance like the scribes and the Pharisees because they have the reward. And the reward, when it's a theatrical performance, is the praise of men. And then he says, when you help the poor or the needy, don't do it in, any, in a way that will draw attention to yourself. Because if you do that, you have your reward, and your reward will not be an eternal reward. It will be the praise of men, which lasts about a nanosecond, right? That's over. That's your praise. That's all you will get. No eternal reward. And he says, when you pray, 
Make sure your praise, he says, are unto God, to be heard of God. That's what you're praying for, not for others to hear, but unto God, to be heard of God. And don't make your prayers a theatrical performance. He says, so when people see you, say, wow, look how spiritual they are. Look how holy they are. He says, in other words, he says, go into a room and close the door, and your father, who hears what is done in secret, will listen and reward you. In other words, make sure your public prayers matches your private prayers. If you're praying a certain way in public, you better be doing that in private, right? That's what he's saying. He's talking about motivation. He's saying have the right motivation for our righteousness. And then Jesus goes into our financial counseling. There's no greater financial counselor than Jesus. And he starts in verse 19. And what we're going to learn this morning is your heart's pursuit displays our eternal destination is what we're going to learn. And he's going to show us, that's the big idea of the message this morning. And he shows us three principles of living for the kingdom. But in each of those principles, he gives us two choices. Jesus is great at doing that. Giving us two choices, the master teacher. And the first principle, he says, store up eternal treasures. Make sure you're storing up eternal treasures. So let's read verse 19 through 21. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, he says. So he shares three things, but the first one is negative. In fact, it's a command with, uh, in the present tense. Would be better translated, stop storing up for yourselves treasures on earth. Stop doing that. That's what he's saying. Stop storing up for yourselves treasures on earth. In other words, they were in the practice of doing that at that time because the human heart hasn't changed at all, right? Do we do that today? We certainly do. There's this desire to accumulate and so forth in our own lives, to accumulate in our lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. What Jesus is saying is that if that's what you live for, that's where your heart is. That's where your heart is. And he's saying, just to let you know, if that's where your heart is, that I'm going to invest in my accumulations, that I'm going to invest in my stuff. He says, at the expense of the church, at the expense of the needy, at the expense of the kingdom of God, is if we do this, you just know that where you put your treasure on those earthly things, he said, is very vulnerable. And he goes in, he says, moths can get in, and rust can get in, and those thieves can break in through those mud brick homes that they had at that time when you're not there and steal everything you have. So your treasure is gone. Everything you have is gone, he says. But he says, if you store for yourself treasures in heaven, he makes the contrast here. He said, where it's moth-proof, it's rust-proof, it's inflation-proof, where there's no storyline identity, where everything can be taken from you, where it's thief-proof, it's secure in heaven is what he's saying. It's secure. And so what Jesus is doing, he's challenging them. Here's your choices. And these are the only choices. Where are you going to store up? In heaven or on earth? Those are your choices you have. That's what he's saying. Let me give you a parallel passage that from this passage in Luke chapter 12, verse 33 through 34, he says this. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In heaven, what we store up there will be eternally protected in what Jesus is promising. Whatever we store up in heaven is, is protected earth. So let me go back to that previous image. Remember I said about storing up for those 30 years of retirement that we save. We work hard in this life, and we're saving up for those 30 years. We're going to have no other income other than what we've set aside or through that social security if it's still there. But now Jesus is saying something different here, though. Jesus is saying, take all those years that you're living here on this earth, 
and prepare for eternity. That's what he's saying. Not for retirement, for eternity. Which, how long is eternity? Forever, forever, which is bigger deal, bigger deal. He says, pray for, uh, prepare for that. I came to know Jesus when I was around 25 years old. How many came to know Jesus before you were 20 years age? Well, there's a few of you. A few of you came to know when you, when you were very young, which is very good. At 25 years of age, my journey to eternity began at that time. And then the challenge from the time I was 25, and the challenge is whatever you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, from that time on until we see him, he says our task is not to accumulate. That's not our task. He says our task is not to, it's not to take the resources that Jesus has given us and live a luxurious lifestyle. That's not what we're supposed to do. At the expense of the church, the kingdom, people, and those who are hurting. He says, we prepare for eternity. It's all right to have stuff, guys. Don't get me wrong. It's all right to have stuff. But we have all this stuff at the expense of giving to eternal things to church and other places as we make a mistake. And maybe you say, I only came to Christ last year. I have a limited time, amount of time to prepare uh, for eternity. What am I supposed to do? My, my thing is to say to you, do what you can. Do what you can. Whatever time God has given you, we are to live for eternity. God's not going to require of you when you did not know Christ. It's since you've known Christ, what have you done with your treasures? What have you done with your times and your gifts? Well, we're talking about treasures today. That, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying here, invest in that which will outlive you. Eternal things. What will outlive us? Eternal things. Treasures in heaven. People. Those kind of things is what he's saying. Invest in that. We don't talk about money often here because it's a very sensitive topic. I know that. But Jesus is speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about this, so we have to address this. And he talks a lot about money. Because we know where our money is, is what where our heart is, right? And you probably have all seen the commercial. Was, I think it was for a credit card. It closes with the famous well-paid actor that says, what's in your wallet? You ever hear that? What's in your wallet? Can I kind of change that question today and say, where is your wallet? Where is your wallet? Because wherever your wallet is, there your heart will be, right? You say, Pastor Doug, I think that was said the other way around because Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So our treasure, where our wallet is, is a good indication where your heart is. Just check it out. It's a good indication of what's really important to you, okay? You know, I was reading where they're saying that each demographic group gives differently, and, and, and they do, uh, based on the way we were brought up in our culture and, and society and so forth, so we're going to give differently. And so some millennials may say today, they say, you know, I, I don't like to give to institutions. I like to give to my, my a cause. I like to give to these, these different things, these projects that people are doing, and I give to those things. You see a lot of people do that. I like to give to my cause. Let me share with you, not only challenge that demographic, but every demographic that we understand. The church is not an institution. We need to understand that. Maybe this helps you to understand this. Our church is an organism. An organism has life. And so Jesus instituted a church, and he says, this church, it is called out body of believers, that he's called together inside of a church, not the building, a church. It's people who have life and vitality, who are building each other up, growing together, and living for Jesus. And ours is to know Christ, grow in Christ, and reach others for Christ. That's what we're trying to do. That's our mission, right? That's what we're trying to do. And Jesus gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where he says, now, go and take the gospel message and go make disciples from every nation and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we have this great commission, this great cause that God has called us to do. The church has life. That's what the Bible's telling it. It has life. Now, with every organism, 
there's a limited amount of organization. There has to be. The organization just helps the organism function. That's all it's supposed to do. An organization has no life outside the connection with the organism. We need to understand that. So we have to have some kind of organization inside of the organism to do some, de some things decently and, and with order. And that's talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So we have systems. We have accountability. So we know where the resources are going. That's what we're supposed to have. To do a kingdom purpose of the organism. To make an uh, eternal impact is what we're supposed to do. To accomplish the mission that God has given to us as a church. So, so we, when we give up our resources, we're not given to an organization. We're given to an organism. We're given to God's mission, God's plan, God's cause that God has called us to do. And for our church, it's help people know Christ, grow in Christ, and reach others for Christ. That's what we call asking you to do. And I want to say that so much today that you know our mission. Help people know Christ, grow in Christ, and reach others for Christ. For you, so you might know Christ, grow in Christ, and reach others for Christ. And when you go out there, you might reach others to know Christ, grow in Christ, and reach others for Christ. That's our mission. And hopefully you understand that. that that's what we have. This is a mission that God has called us all to. It's a cause, the greatest cause that you can give to. The greatest mission and cause the plan of God that you can be a part of, because his plan is eternal. All their plans are temporal, guys. They last for a limited time in this earth. God's last for eternity. So he's saying to come to the biggest cause, to the biggest mission there is. So if you're looking to give to a mission, that's God's cause. That's God's mission. Be a part of what he's doing. Eternal difference is what he says. The New Testament has so much to say about giving, and some of the biblical characteristics of our giving are found there. And I want to give you eight words that are given uh, in the New Testament. You find these words through different translation stuff. As I go through them, I want you to just ask yourself, how am I doing with my giving? Or is there a need of improvement? And I know this is kind of sometimes tough for us to go through and walk through, but guys, this is one of the things that he's called us to do. So let me go through these words and see how you're doing. The first one, he says, you and I are to give generously. The New Testament talks a lot about this. Jesus talks an awful lot about giving generously. He talks about giving generously to go beyond. Not just to give, to go beyond is what he tells us. The church of Corinth, Corinth gave generously. The church of Thessalonica was challenged to excel in their giving like they excelled in so many other, other things. My wife and I, Sheila and I, since we've been married, we have given. and Because we wanted to invest in what God was doing. We wanted to be a part of that. But probably most of our giving was out of duty, was out of responsibility, was out of obedience. But we're also supposed to give uh, gener and generously, is what the Bible says. Give generously. That's what God wants you to be. Generous. Why? Why is that? Because that's God's character and his nature. Because God has given you generously, hasn't he? And we reflect the nature of Jesus. Secondly, he says, do, do I give regularly and systematically? It talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> the emphasis as you come to worship, we're looking to give. We're looking to give as we worship. That's part of our worship. It says in verse 1, now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up. So we're to give regularly and systematically. And we're to give, the reason it says regularly we're to give, because sometimes we might have a habit and saving that money up. Well, I'm going to give it one day. And what I find is sometimes when people do that, when they save it up, they give it one day. It's all right to give once a month, but sometimes people want to save it up, give every quarter. When we do that sometimes, uh, we tend not to give it. 
we start making excuses. Oh, this came up. I need to take that money and put it here. Or we see this large sum of money and say, well, they don't need all that. So they start taking from it. And what you're really doing, if you read Malachi chapter 3, you're not robbing from the church. You're robbing from God. Okay, God has a certain amount of money. He says, I want you to give. And when you don't give it, you're robbing from God, not him. Not, not, not the church. You're robbing from him is what he says. So we're to give regular and systematically. We're to give voluntarily. That's, that's what he wants. We need to give voluntarily. No one wants to force you. It's not forcing, not out of constraint. I don't want people to feel motivated to give out of pressure. That's not what it is here at all. You give voluntarily. We don't pressure people to give. You give how God leads you. That's what we ask you to give, how God leads. But God wants us all to give. Let's just put it that way. He does. So Jesus has given us the choice. There's a choice here. He says, well, what are you going to live for? Are you going to live for today and your accumulations, what's here temporal on this earth, are you going to invest in e eternity and invest in what God is doing and taking your resources and what God is doing through his church, re reaching the needy and, and those that need help? Are you going to do that? We're to give voluntarily on our own volition. No one's forcing you. But when you read the word of God, God says we have to be obedient to him. He's telling us to do it. But we're not forcing you. That's God. God wants us to give. Four, we need to give joyfully. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, each man should give what he has decided in his own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, God wants us to, would actually, if the plates were passing, or when you go to the, the plate back there, the baskets back there, you're not to be, someone has to pull the check of the money out of your hand to give. It's to be actually, what he's saying here in 2 Corinthians 9, that you laugh. It's joyful time to give. It's one of your favorite times of the week that I can give back to the Lord. Why? Because God has so freely given to us. He's been so generous to us, what he's given to us. And now we get an opportunity to give him. Not to pay him back, because he's been so gracious to us, we give back. Because everything that you have, whether you realize it or not, belongs to God, right? Everything you have. Everything you have, he's the one that sustains you in the palm of his hand. He's the one that holds you, and what you have in your hand is all from God's grace, his wonderful, marvelous grace. We say, I worked so hard for it. Yes, you did, but who gave you that mind to think? Who gave you the back to work hard? Who gave you that? It was God. So it all comes from God. Take him away from the sun, the sun shining on the crops, whatever you have, however you work at your factory, wherever you work. Take God's hands away, and we wouldn't have anything. It's all by God's grace. And he's now saying, I want you to give to me and trust me for the rest, is what he's saying. So we're to give joyfully is what we're supposed to do. We're to give worshipfully. Our giving is an act of worship. I, I like what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. The King James says it. I like how it puts it. It says, how can you say you love God and shut up the bowels of your compassion? And in other words, you never open up your wallet. You never open up your checkbook. It says he's connecting the horizontal with the vertical. He's saying here, we don't, we don't demonstrate love and compassion on a horizontal level this way to other people in giving. How can we even say we have a vertical level? How can you even say you have a relationship with God if you're not doing this? That's what he's saying here. How can you say that? Where our checkbook is, there our hearts will follow. Where our debit card is, that's where our hearts will follow. That's what we have today. Many people use a debit card. Number six, proportionately. Uh, this makes it hard to do with the calculator. In other, in other words, as God has prospered us, that's the measure in which we give. So it's hard to do that with a calculator stuff. So many times we get stuff wrapped up in a calculator, and we take away from the relationship. I'm just going to give this. We don't even think about it. We're just going to give this on our calculator. We forget about we have a relationship. How has God prospered us is how we're supposed to give. That's what he wants. And we're to come together as processing it with husband and wife and with family. How has God prospered us? How do we need to take what God has given us? 
to bless others, to give to the church and God's eternal kingdom. How do we do that? That's what we're supposed to do. God wants you to invest in what he is doing, right? Not in your kingdom, but in his kingdom. It's all right to have stuff, but not at the expense of God building his kingdom, what God is doing and getting the message out about Jesus. It's not about a building. I want you to make sure you know that. It's not about a building. A building is just part of the organization that helps the organization kind of accomplish in a more efficient way. A building is just this that we can meet in here. You almost have to have a building today where you can come and you can meet, especially in, here in the north where it's cold outside. You come in and meet. That's all it is. It's not about a building. It's about an organization. Building is just a tool for the organization to use. That's, it. That's all it is. So we just want to maintain a building. That's all we want to do. But we want to do ministry. And our ministry is what? Help people know Christ, grow in Christ, and reach others for Christ. That's what we're about. That's what we want to accomplish. That's what, what God's going to accomplish. That's what's going to make an eternal difference. Helping people know Christ, grow in Christ, and reach others for Christ. Another one is sacrificially. The Corinthian believers testified that they gave as much as they could, and even beyond their ability is what the Bible says. But let me put an asterisk by this one to share a little bit from my heart from this. We're all to give our full tithe. That's not sacrificial giving, by the way. We're, we're commanded to give a tithe to God, to give it back. And what a tithe is, is you give God from your first fruits, from your check or your money that comes in, and you trust God for the rest. I'm going to give to you, God, before I pay any bills, before I buy any food, and I trust you for the rest. You're going to provide what I need. That's what faith is, right? We trust him for the rest. I give to you. And I'm going to trust you for the rest of the week. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to trust you, God. You're going to provide, and God will. That's what he says. Trust me in your giving. He talks about that in Malachi. Trust me. But in, in my study in the New Testament church, when I, when I look at this, I find sacrificial giving, which is above and beyond your tithe. That's what sacrificial giving. We're all to give our tithe, our full tithe. But sacrificial giving is above and beyond that. I find that illustrated and commended, but I don't find that commanded, that we're to give above and beyond our tithe. I don't find that. I, I, I don't see that as commanded by God, but I do see that when it's done, we do it as God leads us to do it. When uh, God leads us many times because of a cause, because we see the cause of what it might do to give sacrificially, and we invest in that cause or what God is doing, and we give sacrificially as God leads us to do. That's what we do. But we're all to give our tithe, but sacrificial giving is above and beyond that tithe. And last, we give quietly. It's to be done in secret. We do it to bring glory to God, not to ourselves, right? We do that. So as you look at these eight, how, how, how are you doing? How did you do when you're giving? Can I assume that we all have room for growth in that area? I mean, we all do. None of us arrived, and oh man, I'm doing it all right. None of us, including myself. So that's what Jesus is saying. Invest in eternity, he's telling us. Reminding us, invest in eternity, because that's what matters, is eternity. Not here on this earth, that's what matters. Jesus gives a second principle living for the kingdom. Fix your sight on eternal glory, is what he says. Verse 22 and 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? But Jesus is saying, Jesus is using the picture of an eye. And he's being the window between the outside and in the inside that the eye gives direction remember that the eye gives direction is what he's saying and so he's also says the eye is for a, or a, or a lamp he says the eye, he calls the eye the lamp in other words if the eye or the lamp is good or healthy uh, the word good here could be better translated to be singular or focused 
instead of good. Singular or focused. So if the eye is singular or focused, the light from that eye, is what he's saying, can give direction to illuminate the whole body, to illuminate the whole pathway, is what he's saying, if it's singular focus. Well, however, if the light is dark, he's saying, if your eye is dark, if your eye is bad or dark, the word there is evil. If your eye is evil, is what he's saying, the ancient rabbis would talk about the evil eye, but, in, but for them, the evil eye meant uh, miserly and greedy, which is full of uh, greed and, and hoards wealth, is what he was talking about. So if your eye is evil or full of greed, is what he's talking about, it's going to direct your whole life towards darkness. And this is really good for you and I to understand what Jesus is saying here, because it's important in the context that my eye is singular, that it's singular focused on eternity, and it will give light to my whole body when I'm singular focused. That's what he's asking. Be singular focused, not the things of this world, but singular focused on eternity, on Christ-centered. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us to be Christocentric, be centered on Christ. On eternity is what we're supposed to be focused on. If it is dark, then I'm miserly and greedy. I'm full of greed, wanting to hoard wealth. And he says, I'm going to live in darkness. I'm going to be confined to this world. I'm going to live the self-absorbed life. I may accumulate a lot. I may enjoy some of it. I may enjoy all of it, right? I may love all the things that I have, all that stuff. But it, the time is limited, and I'm going to do that. And then I have nothing for eternity, is what he's saying. That if I live that way, then I have nothing stored up for eternity. If I spent all my wealth on the things of this wor world, I have it for a very limited time. None of us know how much time we have, but for eternity, it's forever. He says, so what are you going to choose? Jesus given his choice. What are you going to do? I know it's like riding a bicycle or driving a car. I don't know if, you, if you're riding a bicycle or driving a car, and you're looking out at something at the right of your window, don't you have a tendency to kind of turn that way? Don't you have a tendency? I remember when I was a kid, my parents bought a real small farm, especially the farms around here. It was very tiny. And uh, I was a teenager, 13 years old. My dad put me on a tractor. The first time I was put in a small tractor, he said, I want you to disc, and I want you to go in straight line. Hey, that's no problem. Real easy to go to straight line. And I remember we had two collies, and they're running outside to the right, chasing some animal. And I'm looking, what are they chasing? And I'm disking down there, going down this long path. And I kept watching them. Before I knew it, I was veering way off to the right. Because that's what we do. Our eye gives direction. And that's what he's saying here. Your eye gives direction. And if it's singular focused, it's focused on eternity. But if it's not, if it's dark, then I'm focused on the things of this world, is what he's saying. And he's telling us to watch it. Watch where our eyes are going. Make sure our eyes have light, and that's the light of Jesus, that we're focused, singular focused on eternity and not the things of this world. It's easy to get focused on this world. It's very easy to do that, right? Their third principle, living for the kingdom, he says, follow the eternal master. Now he's getting into more deeper in this. Follow the eternal master. Who's the eternal master? It's Jesus. Yeah, say it loud. It's Jesus. So verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So he's given two choices here, right? What's it going to be? Are you going to follow, serve God, or are you going to serve money? And maybe you say, I, I think I can do both. Jesus says you can't. He says right there, you can't serve both. You can't have two masters, he says. So if you say I'm going to serve money, then you can't say you love God. If you say I'm going to love God, then you can't serve money, he's saying. So what's it going to be? He said, you can't serve two masters. It's either one or the other. There's nothing wrong with having money. I want to say that again. There's nothing wrong with having money. But is there anything wrong with having money as your God? 
It's terrible to have that, right? There was uh, someone that said this long ago when I wrote it down. It says, money is a great thing. I love it, but it makes a terrible God. I'd rather have it than not have it, but it makes a terrible God, right? If money is your God, if that's what you're living for, then it will cause you to do all kinds of things that are not right with God. It'll cause you to go down paths that you don't want to go down if that is your God. Listen, we can only have one God is what Jesus is saying. There's only one God. You can't have two. In this message that Jesus gives, why it may be sensitive for us today, we look at this and we don't like people to talk about our money. I don't like talking about this, guys. I'll be honest with you. You don't see me talk about money a lot here because I don't like to talk about it because I believe the Holy Spirit can move in our hearts, but sometimes we have to talk about it because the passage comes up. But he's talking about this, and it's very sensitive because we live in a culture and an era and a time. Well, let's be honest. Most of us do okay, don't we? I mean, it may be tight and stuff, but you're doing okay. You have food on your table, and you're, you're eating and stuff, but we do kind of, right? And the church is doing okay, right? But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What God has called us to be people who are generous. And what he's called the church is to be people who are generous. It doesn't matter how much you have. It matters how much you give. That's the difference that Jesus is talking about. It doesn't matter how much you have, how much you accumulate. How much do you give? It's how much you give to the kingdom, how much impact, eternal impact you are making. That's what matters. That's what Jesus is looking at, and that's what he's talking about. I don't care how much you have. What are you giving? That's what we need to look at. Even if you have little, we can still give. We have a lot, we can give. But all to give is what he's saying. It's us giving. Listen, we can only have one God. And that's what we need to understand. Only one God that helps us with this to follow him, and that's what we need to do, to serve God, not serve money. It's all right to have stuff. Make sure this stuff doesn't have you, right? Make sure it doesn't. I, I had a few questions when I was closing this message. It was kind of a little shorter message to determine if you're honoring God or not, if you're giving to the kingdom or, or, or not, uh, serving him. And, uh, but I trust all you know what you're supposed to do, right? We're all supposed to give for eternal treasures, right? kingdom of heaven, not on the earth. But right now, I, I thought it says, right now tax time is wrapping up, right? And you may be doing your taxes, whether you do the itemized or you do the short form, it doesn't really matter. We know where our money is. All of us know where our money is. You know where it is. We don't have to second guess it. So a simple question we have to ask, according to these verses that Jesus gives us right here, where is my wallet? Because where my wallet is, that's where my heart will be. So look at your taxes and look at them openly and honestly. How much did you give to kingdom purposes last year? It's a very simple question. Is it honoring God? Of what you made and what you gave. You can look right on that form. It tells you exactly how much you gave. How much did you give to yourself and what you were doing for yourself and buying all the things that you have spent on yourself at the expense of perhaps giving to the church or helping those in need or, or those who were hurting? We need to look at, at ourselves. This is a lot for us to think about. These are questions that each one of us have to deal individually, that there's process before God. How, God, how has you prospered me, right? He's prospered every one of us. Some more, some less, but he's prospered all of us. You live in America, we're all prospered in some way. And our challenge this week is to take these verses and say, Lord, how can I live these verses out in my life? I've only got so many years to live. I've been like so many years that I lived for Jesus, and now how can I make a kingdom impact? What do you want me to do, God, with what you've given me? And he's given us all something. What do you want me to do with what you've given me? How can I make an impact? How much do you want me to give? That's what we have to ask. And that's what God is asking us. That's what Jesus was asking them. How much are you going to give to make an impact in kingdom purposes? But maybe you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior yet. 
Today would be a wonderful time to give your life and heart to Jesus. Jesus came so that you may have life. Jesus came so that that eye that is dark might have light. And the only one that can do that is the Holy Spirit of God. Do it through Jesus. And so what you need to understand that all of us are sinners. Every one of us in this room are sinners, including myself. And we've sinned against a holy, righteous, perfect God. And because of that, we're separated from God. There's a gap. There's no way we can approach God because he's perfect in all his ways and we are not. So we're, we're kind of hopeless and helpless in our condition. And God knew that. So he sent his son from heaven, from the glories of heaven, Jesus, who's the son of God. And he came down and took on the form of humanity as a man, 100% God, 100% man. And he went to the cross and God placed all of your sins, past, present, and future, up on Jesus, right? So all of your sins, Jesus died on the cross and paid for all your sins. Your sin debt has been paid in full. Jesus took your place upon that cross. That's the grace of God. The wonderful, amazing grace of God. When you think of God's grace, that's what you want to think about. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Amazing, right? What he did for us. But just knowing about that doesn't save a person. The Bible says that you and I have to receive what Jesus did by faith. It says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So it has to come a time where you and I come and we say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm separated from you, but I understand two things about Jesus. That Jesus is the Son of God, that he's God, and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. So today, I accept what Jesus did for me on the cross, that he paid for my sins. I trust him as my Savior. I accept him by faith. If you've never done that, please do that today. It's not enough to know about Jesus. You have to receive him. As I said before, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's about receiving what Jesus did for you, not knowing about it, receiving it. If you've never done that, please do that. If you have questions about that, please see me after the service. That's the most important decision you can make in your entire life because he determines where you will spend eternity either with Jesus in heaven or apart from Jesus, separated from him for all of eternity, right? You don't want to get this one wrong. To ignore him is to reject him. To not do anything is to reject him. Understand that. We have to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. We want to make sure we get that right. If you have questions about that, let's get that right. There's only one way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That's why it came, right? So if you don't know that, come and see me after the service. We want to make sure you get there. Right. Let's all live for the kingdom, right? Let's all do it. Let's live well before God. Let's take the resources that God has given us and use them for his kingdom, right? Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. There is no one like you. You're, you're our God and we're your children. Lord, you have everything that we have, Lord, we need to understand you have given us. By your grace, we have what we have. By your grace, Lord, you sustain us. By your grace, you keep us. By your grace, you put life in our lungs. By your grace, you give our bodies to function each and every day. By your grace, everything, Lord, is by your grace. And so, Lord, when we understand that, who you are, and how powerful you are, and how perfect you are in all your ways, that everything you do is right. And so when we come and we understand this about ourselves, that, Lord, we're sinners saved by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we're amazed at that, that your grace is that, that, that amazing. I pray for the person who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. I pray for their soul today, that they might realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And there's only one Savior under heaven given to us, that is Jesus Christ, is the only name. For all of us who know you, 
God, I praise you that we know you and we trust you as our Savior. But Lord, you've called us something bigger than just to be saved. You say that now he's our God and we're your children. You've called us to something. That's what the Sermon on the Mount's all about. That God, you're, you're, you're revealing your heart. So our hearts will match your heart. And your heart in giving is what you've given to us, Lord, is to match what you want. That we'd honor you in our giving. We'd honor you with our, our resources that you've given us. Because one day we'll have to stand before you and give an account of what we did with our time, our resources, and our gifts. That we use them wisely for the kingdom. And then you will reward us. And that's what this is all about. We will be rewarded in heaven for what you've given us. Salvation is a free gift through Jesus Christ. But our rewards in heaven are how we live this life since knowing Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that each one would live well. That understand this passage. Even though it's very hard for me to share with, with everyone, God, you might use it in a mighty way by the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to guide us into our giving. That we'd be obedient in our giving. To realize that's part of our worship. And if we're not giving, then we're holding back from God our worship. And I pray that our hearts are convicted because we all need to be giving. We all need to want to worship God this way. So God, help us. Help us to realize this. Lord, sometimes it makes where we already got to cut things out of our life and sacrifice to do that. But help us to do that, Lord. Realize your way is always the best way to be obedient to you. And Lord, you promised to bless us and you promised to provide us for our needs. Not our wants, for our needs. That's kind of a God you are. We're so thankful for you. Lord, I pray for a person here, Lord, who's going through a difficult time right now, whatever it may be, whether it's financial, whether it's relationship, where it's emotional, where it's physical uh, or spiritual, Lord, or they have questions about Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, let them realize they don't have to go through it alone. You know, there's people here, the elders would be glad to pray with them and talk with them, but there's other people here, too, that would be glad to pray with them. And, Lord, help them to realize the solution, whatever we have, is to draw closer to Jesus, because what Jesus does is help us to see things in a clear way, crystal clear. We get his vision and what to do, which is always the right vision which is always the right way. When we start listening to too many people, and we start thinking on ourselves, we start making decisions based on how we see it. But we need to see the bigger picture and how Jesus sees it. That's what's important. Help us to be obedient in all that we do. We ask for your blessing. Lord, as we sing this next song, yes, I will. Say, Lord, we'd come to you and just say, Lord, what I have and everything I have is yours. And I will be obedient, not just in my giving, but also, Lord, with the time that I have to you and my talents and my gifts that I'm using for your glory. Bless us, Lord. You've blessed us so much with so much in this world. Help us to use those resources you've given us for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name.